Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Good morning, everybody. I am so excited to be here finally. Am I echoing? Kind of echoing? Kind of, kind of, kind of? Okay. It's great to be here. I don't know about you, but uh, that actually warmed my heart. As I'm getting older, it's really encouraging to know that there's going to be so many believers ready to take care of me in the medical industry. Did you notice how many of them are actually going into health care? That's amazing. It's pretty neat. I am very excited to be here with you this morning. Um, appreciate it uh, very much. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Acts chapter 17. And um, my understanding is that Roger has been leading each of you through a series of different theological points over the last several weeks, right? How's that been going? That been helpful? I hope so. I really hope so because we live in a day and age when the church needs to be very clear about who it really is. And uh, it is critically important that each one of us understand why we believe what it is we believe. We got to understand that. And so I hope that's been very, very helpful for you. Today we're gonna continue in that same vein and be looking at this idea of evangelism and by extension, missions. But before we go there, I actually wanna take a pause and kind of bring you up to speed as to where we are in this, in this uh, passage we're gonna be reading today because we're actually parachuting into the middle of an ongoing story. It's already happening during Paul's secondary, uh, second missionary journey. So let me bring you up to speed. Paul and his cohorts have been up in Macedonia, which is just north of Greece. And from a human standpoint, things have not really been going that well for them. For example, uh, they were, had been imprisoned in Philippi. Then they go to Thessalonica, and Paul's preaching actually causes a riot in the city. He escapes from that and goes south down into a town called Berea, and those who were rioting in Thessalonica followed him all the way down to Berea and then kicked him out of there. Not great. Just prior to all of this, he'd actually been kicked out of Pisidian Antioch. He had been threatened to be stoned in the city of Iconium and then actually stoned and left for dead in the city of Lystra. Maybe it was time for Paul to go on a cruise. Yeah. Now, I speak, I speak tongue-in-cheek, but his, 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 his colleagues actually put him on a boat from there to go down to the city of Athens and to escape and to get away. And you and I can only imagine the, the mental and physical exhaustion and just the toll something like all of these kind of things would have on a human. Paul's human. So he gets on a boat, he goes down to Athens. He gets into Athens, which is where we find him in our passage today. He's been wandering around by himself through this city and he notices it's absolutely chocked full of idols everywhere. In fact, According to verse 16, it says that it provoked his spirit. I don't know if any of you have ever been to countries like India or Sri Lanka or Thailand or one of those where they actually bow down and worship idols in front of you. It is creepy weird to see this. I mean, it's like you are in a, a time warp back to the days of antiquity when you're, when you're around that. Very, very strange. So I kind of understand that a little bit. Paul is seeing this and his spirit is provoked. He gets into a place called the Areopagus and starts meeting with the Greek philosophers and talking to them, which brings us to our passage where we're at today. We're in Acts 17. Please join me in reading, starting in verse 22. 
So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we love you. We pause this morning to just tell you that you are God and we declare it. You are God and there is no other. I thank you for all of these faces behind me that we just saw and the hope that they have going forward. Father, as we are studying your word and thinking about this understanding of, of evangelism and what you've told us to do, give us ears to hear this morning what it is you would say to each one of us, because I know there's something here for us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So my family and I, we, uh, we moved back to the U.S. in 2016 after being with the IMB and serving overseas for a number of years, and we were absolutely shocked at the changes that had undergone in American society during that time that we've been gone. Um, that was seven years ago, 2016. We thought it was bad then. Yeah, we thought it was bad then. I don't know about you, but I'm finding it increasingly more and more difficult to actually sit and watch the news these days, right? It just, there's, there's so much anxiety and stuff that just boils up inside of me. I have to almost break away from it a little bit. And I think there's a, a real temptation for a lot of us when we're around that constant vibe all the time to really just kind of back up and circle the wagons and hunker down and we really just want to escape from the world at large. And we do that through a lot of different ways. We can do it through entertainment. We do it through sports. Maybe we dive head, head first into our children's activities. There's all kinds of ways that we have at our disposal to do this and we're really good at it really good at it. I want you to know that I deeply understand that impulse. I share it with you in a lot of ways. But, but, as Christians, we really don't have the option to do this. We don't. You and I have been given a commission, marching orders, to make disciples of all people. King Jesus has given us, entrusted each one of his subjects, that's us, with the words of life. The only reason that any of us in this room have received salvation is because someone before us took that commission seriously. Someone loved you enough to be able to explain to you that you're a sinner, deeply in need of a savior, and that there is no other name given under heaven by which man may be saved. And by God's grace, many of us in this room have actually come to faith in Christ, and I praise the Lord for that in every way. But if we're honest, there's a lot of us that when we think of salvation and we think of evangelism, we kind of frame it around getting a ticket to heaven one day, right? Getting that ticket to heaven. But then what about the meantime? What about the meantime? What are we supposed, is this supposed to be just sort of a, a holding pattern until that day? 
are, are, are we meant to just be a gathering of ticket holders, content really to just kind of sort of live our best life now until we actually punch that ticket one day? If I'm listening to some of the presentations that I hear from time to time from different people, the answer can actually seem to be yes. Because the way a lot of people share the gospel today is something akin to accept Jesus as your Savior so that you can go to heaven one day. And that is absolutely true. Absolutely 100% true. But there's a tendency to sort of end the conversation right there and not really talk about new life. That's really what we're receiving is new life. Not just there, but here. Does that make sense? Not just there, but here. We are, we are, nothing about redemption. Nothing about God redeeming us and our lives and our relationships and the brokenness inside of us, families and all these things that also come as a result of coming to faith in Jesus. And that's, that's a shame. No, no, no talk about discipleship. I frame it like this. If, if, if my salvation is simply, solely about me being able to go to heaven one day, all right, perhaps the most humane thing that could have happened to me is that somebody simply hold me down and drown me in my baptism because then I can go straight to heaven. And I don't have to deal with corruption in our government and watching and getting amped up by the news. I don't have to deal with the traffic on 1488 every day, right? I don't have to make sound effects now as I'm getting older every time that I stand up. You know, you know, I don't have to do any of those things unless, unless God actually has a plan established for me in the meantime. And friends, it's that plan that I want to highlight to you this morning. I know it is so easy for us to sort of live life in a kind of sort of a microcosm of our reality, not, for, not understanding and thinking about the, the macro happening, the big picture, bigger picture happening, the overarching cosmic story of God breaking into human history, okay, and steering all of human lives and all of human history towards its ultimate endpoint, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is going to happen. And so this morning, I think we desperately need to recover a theology of time and place and our individual roles within that. Um, there's just, I've got story after story after story to tell you, and I don't have time. But I will just quickly tell you, did you know there are more Muslims that have come to faith in the last 20 years than in the last 1,400 combined? Amen. That's happening in your lifetime. Did you know that? That's actually happening around the world. God, is, God never sleeps, and he's still working. He's doing amazing things. Gosh, on my Facebook last night, just as I was about to go to bed, I got a message from somebody saying, hey, had an amazing time in uh, Hammond, Louisiana. 109 people came to faith. How did that happen? These things are happening around, but when we live in the microcosm, it's easy to just sort of forget that because we watch the news, don't we? We get distracted, and we read reports that the majority of Americans are no longer really being raised in a Christian worldview, in a Christian environment. And uh, so evangelism in a context like that can seem, seem almost like a wasted effort, okay? We have questions. What can a Christian even say to someone who has no knowledge of Christianity? 
I mean, where does a Christian even begin in that? Those are legitimate questions, legitimate questions. Allow me to point you to Acts chapter 17, because our passage this morning is really a master class in how to share with those with no prior Christian worldview. Where does Paul start? Where does Paul start a conversation with people just like that? He starts it in creation, this unavoidable wonder that we all live in, creation. Friends, no sane human being, no sane human being can view creation as just random space dust. Can't do it, can't do it. Who created all of this is a question that every single one of us asks at some point in our life, don't we? Kids, older folks, we all ask this question and it demands an answer. It demands a response. That's because creation reflects the creator and the reality of who he is to every single one of us. You and I cannot escape an awareness of God no matter what we say. So unbelievers may choose to deny this, but he or she is simply denying what they already instinctively know to be true, right? They know it's true. They deny it. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness according to Romans 1. So as we look at our passage today, Paul, we can see that Paul deeply understands the big picture going on. He understands the big picture. He mentions this inscription to an unknown God in uh, verse 23. An altar to an unknown God. Kind of interesting. Now, the Athenians, people that live in the city, they believe that all, if all gods everywhere weren't properly worshipped and venerated, they would come and destroy their beautiful city. This is what they lived with, this idea. And so, in order to not inadvertently invoke the wrath of some god that they weren't familiar with, they would create these altars to unknown gods just to sort of cover their bases, okay, out of fear. Don't miss that. Don't miss that because Paul sure didn't. In fact, Paul is highlighting the God who that he proclaims as the answer to that fear that is seizing them that they live in. This is the reality they're in. You think, well, that's great, Daryl. For the Athenians, that's, that's wonderful news. What in the world does that have to do with us? Everything. Everything. Your work colleagues, your neighbors, your schoolmates, they're all living in some level of fear today. My only child graduated from high school on Thursday. It's a big day at the Ingram Estate. Big day. All of the faces that you just saw on there, I'm so glad that we prayed for them because they have a hope. But I'll, honestly, if you talk to them in all honesty and ask them to give an assessment of how they feel about their future, um, you're going to get a lot of responses based in fear. Now, we know some of that's normal. We all experience that when we get out of high school or college, right? The fear of the unknown and, and going forward. I'm not talking about that. That's totally normal. These guys, the faces that you just saw on the screen, all of them have grown up their whole lives watching the structures and stress fractures in our society happening, watching structures break down. And so there's not a lot of young people today that are just brimming with hope when they think about their careers, when they think about becoming adults. That's real. That's real. And so I'm so glad that we actually prayed for them. Please continue to do that. They need it desperately. But also, likewise, our neighbors our colleagues, okay, 
those other people in our lives, they're scared to death that the economy is about to collapse, okay? Again, this is real life. If you talk to them, you begin asking these kind of questions, they're gonna reveal it. Real, real life. Um, and just like Paul, we see in this, in this passage, I really think God has given you and I a perfect opportunity. He just dropped it right in our laps to be able to introduce these people living in fear, introduce them to the Prince of Peace, to the only one who can actually give them hope and a future and any kind of purpose at all going forward. This is an opportunity for you and I. Here's the point I'm making, is that God creates this longing in all of their hearts. All these people that we interact with all the time, he creates that longing. They just don't realize that it's him that they actually need. So they search for all these other things trying to fill that void. But it's him that they need. That's where you and I come in. That's where you and I come in. Because you and I carry the life preserver that's gonna prevent them from drowning. This is our role. This is why we're here. This is part of the big picture. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that God would open our eyes to this reality so that we can finally, finally stop circling the wagons and trying to escape and, and, and really just get in the game. Get in the game called the Christian life. It's an adventure. It's fun. So much fun. So we see that Paul acknowledges that the Athenians are religious people, it says. He acknowledges that. They already have a natural propensity toward worship, okay? Just like everybody else that we know. You do know that everybody worships something, right? Everybody worships something. We all worship something. Paul's saying that each one of us carry a sense of dependence upon God just by the fact of our createdness. Is that a word? Createdness. Just by that fact. So he continues in verse 27. He says that they should seek God in the hope that they might actually, they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. I love that. It's very encouraging to me. I hear that, and I think that the most hardened heart, we all know those people, the most hardened heart, even for him, there's a sense that God in his omnipresence is right there next to them. You might know who Louis Giglio is, pretty famous guy. He said, he made a quote years ago that has just kind of wormed its way in my brain, and I can't unhear it. I love those. He said one time, he said, the God who created everything and needs absolutely nothing pursues you. He pursues you. Anybody struggling this morning with identity, purpose, um, a, a sense of worth, you let that burn in your head, that kind of quote, that'll change you. The reality of that will change you. So that's for you. Have a look at verse 26 again. It says that he has determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of your dwelling place. Wow, wow, wow. Did everybody spot that the first time we read it? That's a big one. I call that a zinger. That's a good one. God has placed each of us exactly where he wants to use us. Exactly. This is big picture language here. Big picture language. God has you exactly where you are for a purpose. Question, 
why weren't you born 150 years ago in the Congo? Because God determined the when that you would be alive in 2023 and the where that you would be alive, the greater Magnolia area. So you just thought it was your idea to buy that great house in that cool neighborhood. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That was actually a big part of, key part of God's strategy for that neighborhood, was putting you specifically in that place. Um, his story for the redemption of Magnolia is still playing out. It's still being played out right now. And you, every single one of you listening to me right now, you play a pivotal role in that story, big time. It's why you're actually here at this church, by the way. Why aren't you at another church? Because God providentially brought you here. It's all part of his plan and his purpose in your life. Big picture stuff. Magnolia's first. This blows your mind, right? But think about it. Have you ever just stopped and considered your strategic place according to his plans? It says that God's determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of your dwelling place. I hear that. You know what it tells me? That your lives intersect with the lives of those that God is already working in, even if you can't see it yet. Let me say that again. Your lives intersect with the lives of those God is already working in, even if you can't see it yet. Think about who lives in your neighborhood right now. Got that? Think about your people you work with or classmates or any of those people, the barista at Starbucks that you see on a regular basis, someone at Home Depot, whoever it is, you interact with certain people on a regular basis. You got those people in your head? It is not random chance that you interact with the people that you do on a regular basis, okay? Because God is always at work. He doesn't sleep. We do. We do, and we get bogged down with watching the news or getting distracted in all kinds of different things, and we can forget this fact. So when we talk about evangelism and by extension missions, it's really about an understanding of the bigger picture, the heartbeat of God and what he's doing, and intentionality within that. This is what we're talking about. And look, when it comes to sharing the gospel, a lot of us get discouraged when we try to do it. And I need you to understand, I get that. I get that. It's becoming increasingly more difficult in this society to be able to do that, to be able to do it well. Um, I understand that. There's a lot of reasons for that, but I think perhaps one of the reasons might be because we think in our, in our minds that if they don't accept the gospel and believe right then and there, that we've somehow failed. Okay? Have you ever had somebody come up to you in church, well-meaning to say, Got to seal the deal. Got to seal the deal. Show me that verse in Scripture because I can't find it. And this is not sales. This is not sales we're in, okay? Um, sometimes it looks like that. Yeah, sometimes we're able to actually lead somebody to faith right then and there, and that's a beautiful thing. But most of the times, it looks like links in a chain. Links in a chain. What do I mean by that? Okay. Let's say that you share the gospel with someone for the first time. They've never heard it before their whole life, okay? They don't actually believe right then and there, but they have heard it. You, sir, are link number one. Congratulations. Someone comes back behind you, 
later on and continues to reinforce gospel truth that you have planted in their minds and in their hearts. Maybe they explain it a different way that allows them to understand it a little bit further and a little deeper. That's link number two. This goes on and on and on until the last link shares the faith, shares the gospel with him, and that person comes to faith. Beautiful thing. Question, which of those links is the most important? All of them. They're right. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Each link is critically vital in that chain of their journey to faith. Everyone is absolutely vital. And guess what? You don't know which link you are. You have no, God has not revealed to you which link you are. Even if you don't see fruit immediately, even if you don't see fruit immediately, you being faithful in your link, you need to understand, is a pivotal part of that person's journey to faith. It's a pivotal part. Paul plants, Apollos waters, and God gets the glory, right? Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. My family and I served in Central Asia uh, for about 15 years. Kind of a rough place, even rougher place to share the gospel. And so there was an axiom that we kind of understood and lived our lives by out there there. Part of that understanding was that when we stand before God one day, I really don't think he's going to be concerned and asking questions of us like we get bogged down with here in church life, okay? I don't think he's going to say things like, well, how successful was your ministry? Or what kind of numbers you boys running in Sunday school? Or any of those kind of things that we kind of, you know, we, we kind of deal with in church life. None of that. I think he's going to hone in for all of us on one question. Were you faithful to what I asked you to do? Were you faithful? And so here's the axiom, friends. Your success in this endeavor, your success is defined by your faithfulness. Your success is defined by your faithfulness in the link that you are in that chain. So be encouraged, Magnolias, first. Be encouraged. But you be faithful. You be faithful. So how can you be that link? How can you be the link? It's easier than you could ever imagine. Number one, would you just begin to pray for those that God puts in your path on a regular basis? Pray for them regularly. You're going to be surprised what happens. <laughs> You're going to be real surprised what happens when you actually begin to pray regularly for these people. In fact, I want you, I challenge you to test me on this and see if God doesn't begin to start opening up opportunities for you to share with these people. I know it's going to happen. You know why I'm confident of that? Because it's God's plan. And you play the role that you do in the link that you are. It's going to happen. You get a chance to get in the game. It's a great thing. Number two, pray for them, but invite them to dinner. Those of you who have, anybody here have neighbors? Anybody here eat? Do it together. See, it's, not, it's really not rocket science. Just do it together every once in a while. Get together. Look, the dinner table is still one of the very best settings from which to share spiritual conversations and gospel truth with non-believing neighbors. It is still one of the best settings to do something like that. 
There's an old Bengali proverb that I heard years ago that I think would be helpful for a lot of us to maybe adopt in our own life. Bengali proverb says this, you're not truly my friend until we've shared a bag of salt together. Can't do that in one setting. That's the long game, okay? That's the long game. I love that. I love that. Invite them to dinner. And number three, guys, we can't miss this. We've got to share the gospel. We've got to share the gospel. We hold the words of life. The idea that Jesus came to this world and lived a perfect, sinless life that we could never live. He voluntarily bled and died on a cross for your sins. But then three days later, he crushed death and sin, and he rose again to new life. And now anyone, anyone who repents of their sin and acknowledges Jesus as Lord and King will escape the coming wrath of God and will live with him forever. Not just there, but here as well. And God will begin to redeem and heal relationships and brokenness inside of you as you minister, as a minister of reconciliation to others. This is the gospel. And our neighbors and our friends and everyone needs to know this. But you know what? As easy as all that is, Pastor Jeff and the staff here have made it even easier for you this morning. Even easier. They've put together specific first serve opportunities for you to join that are either ongoing or are, are beginning right now. There's two ways to access that. So if you wouldn't mind filling out, there's some cards we actually have around the sanctuary. If you don't mind taking one of those cards and filling it out and putting it in the offering box before you leave, that's one way. Or you can actually access this uh, QR code, and I think it's going to give you the same basic information right on there as well. So you can access one of two ways to get that. As I close, though, I just want to share this, that as you live this life that God's given you, in this place that he has ordained for you to live, in this time that he has sovereignly placed you in to live, be faithful and make disciples. Remember, God has also arranged the where and when that your colleagues, your neighbors, and all of your classmates also live in as well. Their lives intersect yours as well. This is part of God's plan. This is according to God's plan. This is the big picture. Friends, I'm telling you, what we're talking about this morning is the very heartbeat of God. It is the heartbeat of God. You tap into that, I'm telling you, you're going to begin to understand your very, very strategic place across playing out across Magnolia and beyond. You won't be framing salvation any, long, any longer in terms of just going being able to go to heaven when you die one day. You won't do that, okay? Even though that is absolutely guaranteed to happen according to Scripture for those of us who are in Christ. Yes, good news. Even better, though, you get a chance to realize that you're now in this life, you're in the game. You're not just in the game. You're actually playing a starting position in this epic adventure called the Christian life. If that's your story, you know. <laughs> you know there could be nothing greater, no greater purpose to be here. You know. And if that's not your story, why not change that today? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for these precious men and women I thank you for those of us in this room who are in Christ. And by God's grace, we actually have a story to tell. We have a story to tell. I pray for boldness for my friends here. I pray for intentionality in their lives. 
this congregation, that you would open their eyes to lostness in the community, Father. Help them to see. And I pray that you would grant that this, <laughs> this sleeping giant called Magnolia's First Baptist Church would awaken and realize their role in seeing what you're doing across, ex- expanding your kingdom across Magnolia and beyond. For your glory and for your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.